This is the unmaking. Um, we, uh, Ashley and I have been watching, watching a TV show here lately called Fixer Upper. Anybody watch Fixer Upper? You know, all right, fantastic. In fact, uh, you too, Brian, all right, good. Uh, Ashley was just watching this last night and it's so funny. Sometimes I'll be working on my computer or something and she'll be watching this and all of a sudden she'll start just cracking up laughing because she's, I think, secretly in love with Chip Gaines and so. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so, no, the, the, uh, he is hilarious. And so, but you know, you know if you've seen it, if, even if you haven't seen it, it's a pretty simple show. It's like every other HGTV show that's out there. Basically, you've got a, a husband and wife who are like this realtor slash remodeling uh, extraordinaire couple. And so the basic premise of the show is that they will go out and they'll take this family or this couple or this person who's looking for a home in, in Texas where they live, and they want to find the dumpiest house on the block and turn it into the house of someone's dreams. They want to turn it into a palace. And so the way it goes is they'll take, they'll take this family or this couple around to three different houses. They'll show them three different houses and, you know, just total dumps of places. They've been abandoned or they've got condemned stickers on the doors and they're leaning halfway like the Tower of Pisa or something. And, and they'll show all of these, these three houses. And, uh, and then the person that, that is wanting to buy the house will, will buy one. They'll choose one as is, right? They ask the homeowner to make any concessions that, you know, no repairs. They just buy the dump as it is. And then they turn the keys over to Chip and Joanna and they don't see it again for a month or two months or however long. And, and so what ends up happening is Chip and Joe then are responsible for coming up with a master plan for this dump of a house. I, I mean, usually there's just all kinds of trash in it that needs cleared out. Walls need to be taken down. In fact, that's one of Joanna's favorite phrases is, I think we want to take this wall out right here, just remove this wall and, uh, and just open this up, you know? And so, so, so a lot of times a wall will need to come down. The, the reality is these are houses that have been ruined by years of neglect or misuse or a lack of, of a vision of what the house could be. And so walls just get built in random places and, and cabinets and furniture gets brought in that just doesn't belong at all. And, and so the floor plan's messed up. There's no flow. And, and what, what started as an architectural idea of what could be has really been run into the ground in a lot of ways. And so Chip and Joe come and this this kind of disaster that they run into isn't the kind of thing that you can take as is and then just slap a few coats of paint on it and call it a day, right? If they did that, the reality is the guts of the house and, and the mold problems, the electrical problems, and the, the, the plumbing problems would still be there, sometimes even the foundational problems. And so if you've seen the show, you know the first thing Chip and Joe do after they take possession of the house is they've got this special day that's set aside for demo, right? They call it demo day. And this is Chip's favorite day because he gets to go in with a sledgehammer and knock walls out. And basically they just gut this house. And, and a lot of times they have to go all the way down to the studs to get rid of all the mess that is in this place. And, and they have to do this because Joanna has designed and she's got this vision of what this house could be. I mean, it could be this beautiful thing, but if it's going to be that, then all of the things that stand in the way of that beautiful master plan have got to go, right? 
all of the walls that are out of place, all of the trash in the house, all of the mold, all the junk. And so they come in and they're sledgehammering, they're tearing out kitchens, they're ripping up flooring, they're tearing walls out and they're pulling off drywall to get to the exposed ship lap because it's so beautiful, you know? And, uh, and, and so all of this, they're pulling all this stuff out. And, and, and the point is to get this, this slate where now they can start bringing in some things that are gonna be beautiful and good and clean and perfect for the master plan. Sometimes they even have to get in there and they have to do work on the foundation itself. You ever seen one of these episodes where they got to go and they got to jack this house up and it turns out this house has been built on a faulty foundation, the whole house. And so either we got to bulldoze the thing or we've got to work on even the foundation that holds the thing up. I wonder if uh, maybe sometimes God needs to do some similar things with you and I, Right? Has that ever happened to any of us? Like we came to Jesus maybe, um, thought about coming to Jesus. Maybe some of you are exploring that even today and you're kind of wondering, man, if I come to Jesus, what's gonna happen? And I, I wanna be honest with you this morning. There is the reality that Jesus will take you just as you are and embrace you there, just like he does with the bread and the fish that the little boy brings to him in his lunch. And there's no way this could feed 5,000 people, but Jesus says, okay, I can work with this. And he does the same thing with you because Jesus is full of grace. And he embraces you there and he blesses you and he gives thanks for you and enfolds you into the kingdom of God. But then the very next thing Jesus does with the bread and the fish is that he breaks it. Uh, he breaks it. And I wonder if sometimes this happens with us as well. Like we come to Jesus with all sorts of attitudes that are out of whack and years of spiritual neglect uh, in that area of our lives and, and maybe some habits and patterns that have been destructive, maybe some relationships that are way outside of God's plan and some, some ambition and visions for what our lives could be that are just off the charts from what God had intended for our lives. And, and we bring that kind of a life to God and God says, I'm so glad you're here, I'll take you. But then God loves us too much to leave us that way, right? And this is one of those cliches that we hear a lot. But, but in the same way as Fixer Upper, you would never, Chip and Joanna would never uh, sell a house to a, a, a person as a dump and then say, here's the keys, congratulations. <laughs> Enjoy your new dump of a house. No, they're going to say, we've got a plan for this and it's going to be beautiful, but we got to do some demo first. And so with that bread and the fish, skipping in and out of this story that we've been working on the past several weeks, Jesus takes the bread and the fish and the scriptures say, he takes it and he gave thanks for it or he blesses it and then he broke it. He broke it. And there's this concept that's going on in the middle of that story. I know it's bread and fish, but it, uh, again, with this series, it's about more than bread and fish. He breaks it because he understands that in order to feed all of the people gathered that day, in order for this bread and this fish to become what God intends for it to be in this moment, it can't stay like it is. It has to get broken. It has to get broken. But here's the thing that we really believe at, at our deepest place about what Jesus does and who he is. When he breaks, we really do believe that it's for a purpose that's going to be beautiful, that there's going to be a replacement, there's going to be a rebuilding, there's going to be a transformation that is infinitely greater and better and more beautiful than what it was that he was breaking down and tearing out and removing out of a life 
that was there that was brought to him, right? We, we believe this. So maybe some of us are going through this right now, and you're like, man, I feel like I'm in that season. Like, God is just tearing me apart, you know, it feels like. And there are all these patterns and things that God is wanting to remove, and I'm getting convicted left and right about this and that and this and that. And, and sometimes that's painful and that's uncomfortable. But the reality is maybe you're there this morning, um, and I want to tell you, hang on. Hang on, because Demo Day is just one part of the story, and there's another part that's coming after the scene is prepped for God to begin to pour himself in in special ways and do some rebuilding. Uh, there's a great preacher named Charles Spurgeon. I read one of his sermons this week, and he's got a quote that I'm going to put on the screens. He said, whenever God wants to make a man great, he always breaks him in pieces first. Isn't that so true? You read through the scriptures and there's just story after story, example after example of Moses having to go and spend decades as a shepherd before he delivers the people or Jacob having to wrestle God uh, before he receives the blessing and, and just all sorts of stories time and time again. Even Jesus goes out and spends 40 days in the wilderness before he goes out and transforms the world. When God wants to make a person great, he tends to break him into pieces first. This is kind of the activity of God. It's not always pleasant, and sometimes it's painful, and, and yet this is the process in order for a reconstruction and a rebuild to happen properly and correctly, for a slate to be made blank, for God to be able to pour into and create and fashion someone into the image of Christ. Now, Chip uh, Gaines might bring in a sledgehammer and a bulldozer. God has some different tools at his disposal. Sometimes this happens to us, the demolition in our life, breaking down the old patterns of sin. Uh, sometimes this happens through just the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? Where that still small voice comes to you and says, you know, there's this area of your life, this relationship, this attitude, and this has got to go. This has got to go in order for you to continue to walk forward with me. Sometimes it happens through the words of a friend. Uh, Proverbs says that the wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And that, that's sometimes a, a friend comes up to you and says some hard, painful things, but they're good and they're necessary for us to hear. And they, they feel like demolition. And yet they're, they're, they're important for us because we grow, grow through that. Sometimes it's just through our encounter with the scripture and we're reading the scripture and we see something described maybe in one of Paul's letters or something about a lifestyle or an attitude, and we're like, that doesn't look like me, and maybe that needs to change in my own life. Maybe it's through a, a blog you read or a sermon you listen to. All, God has all kinds of different tools at his disposal for this kind of demolition that he wants to do in our life. But one thing is sure, if God is tearing something down in our life, he's got plans to put something better in its place. Again, we see this kind of activity of God all the way through the scripture. In the Old Testament, one of the key places that we see this is through God's activity with the prophets. You know, this is one of the key things that the prophets were about, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and all these prophets. Uh, they came announcing to a nation of Israel, God's chosen people, 
in that day who God had made a covenant with. And the, the people of Israel had just walked away from God, walked away from the covenant over and over and over again. They'd served idols. They'd made images in place of God and worshiped them. They had set up their society in all kinds of unjust ways. And so the poor were oppressed and people were outcast and, and just, it, it was a mess. And so God sent prophets. In the early days, he sent prophets as a warning. Hey, a demo is coming unless you clean this place up and get it back to the original plan. But after a while, the house was so far gone that the prophets just started saying, you know, the reality is demo is coming. And, and there's going to be a time where Israel gets torn to pieces. And in the Old Testament, we see that happen with the exile. Uh, Israel loses the promised land and goes out into exile in Assyria and Babylon and, and they're oppressed by other people and they lose everything that they had and they're torn to pieces. In fact, uh, one of the prophets, Hosea, in chapter five of Hosea, uh, God speaks through Hosea and says, I will become like a lion and tear them to pieces and then walk away. Walk away. God says this, that he wants to do this uh, breaking. And, and of course, uh, again, the point isn't just for the breaking. The point is that they would be broken and, and, and taken down to a place where they could return to the dream and the vision and the plan that God had for them. And so in the very next chapter of Hosea, we find that the idea isn't that God would just tear them apart like a lion, but that he would get them ready to return to God. And so uh, in Hosea 6.1, they God envisions a time when the people will say, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has broken us down, but he will put us back together. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. See, God doesn't just do the breaking down and the tearing down. God does the healing and the binding. And our belief is that what God is tearing down is all of that junk and the destructive things in our life that's leading to death anyway. And he's putting it back in its place, something that is made whole, a life that is healed and purified and cleansed and ready for the good master plan that God has for us. You know, one of the roles that Jesus functioned in. One of the hats that Jesus wore was that of a prophet. He's got these different roles, the prophet, he's the priest, he's the king. And, and one of the things that Jesus was is he was, a, he was a prophet. He was the greatest prophet that had ever come. And a lot of times I know that we like to think of Jesus as, as full of grace and full of love and the one who is like closer than a friend and a brother and all of these kinds of things. And Jesus is like this teddy bear that you, you know, snuggle with at night, you know, or whatever. And, and, and we, we like to think about those soft edges of Jesus. But the reality is Jesus had a little lion in him as well, didn't he? If God was talking about becoming a lion that would tear down all those destructive things about Israel uh, and put back something better in its place, Jesus had that same quality. Uh, it, every once in a while, you'd see Jesus just give a flat-out tongue lashing to somebody, right? And, and just, just so we all know, uh, all of us sitting in church this morning, those tongue lashings were usually reserved for the religious crowd, <laughs> just, so, just so you're comfortable here this morning, right? Uh, I mean, Jesus didn't go around tongue-lashing people who were lost. 
he tongue-lashed the religious hypocrites of the day, and he just laid into them sometimes. And that was that lion kind of thing, that tearing down, that breaking down uh, function that he did, that prophetic function that he did. There was one time Jesus came in and did his own version of fixer-upper, right? He walked into God's house, and, and the temple had been misused and neglected and turned into a, a den of robbers and thieves, Jesus said. And Jesus walks in, and he says, this isn't like my father's plan at all. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. And so he breaks out a whip, not a sledgehammer for him, but a, a whip. And he starts driving the people out and cleansing the temple and turning over the tables and knocking out walls, you know, all this kind of this stuff that this was the prophetic function of Jesus. Now, he, he worked this way a lot of times with the religious crowd. Um, he was a lot gentler when it came to somebody who was a long way off from God, wasn't he? You find to a T stories like the woman who was caught in adultery and and is getting ready to be stoned, and Jesus comes up to her and stands in between her and those who are about to throw the stone, and, and they all drop their stones and walk away, and Jesus calls her up and says, do you see, where are your accusers? And she says, they've all gone, and he says, I don't, I don't condemn you either. Um, so Jesus does this kind of thing, but he also would not just embrace, but he would embrace, and then he would call people out, right? So he embraced this woman caught in adultery and he says, you, you know, I don't accuse you either. I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. There's a demo that takes place in order to put something better in its place. One time Jesus did demo with a guy named Saul. Uh, Saul was this like murderous persecutor of early Christians and, and we know him by his name, uh, his Greek name, Paul, that he got referred to later on in the New Testament, wrote half of the New Testament himself, right? But before he got to that place, he was like this perfect religious like Pharisee, the, just the picture of what a, what a great Jewish person in that day would look like. And, and he saw this, this new movement of people following Jesus as a threat to everything he believed. And so he would ride to these different cities with orders to jail Christians and to persecute them. And one day he's riding on this donkey uh, to find some Christians and persecute them. And Jesus, the resurrected, ascended Jesus at this time, shows up in a ball of light and knocks Paul off of his horse, right? blinds him. Talk about some demolition, you know? I mean, this is Paul going. He's got everything put together. Jesus just waylays him off the horse and, and blinds the guy. And Paul comes to know Jesus through this, ends up giving his life to Jesus through this. Later on, when Paul would reflect about what it was like to come into a relationship with Jesus, he would describe it like this, I had built this great life and I was so good at all of these things and there were so many things that I was proud of. And, and he lists them all off. And then he says, and then Jesus knocked me off my horse and I came in to know Jesus and all of those things that I had built up and brought to Jesus and I was so proud of these things, you know, all of those things were reduced to rubble. And all that was left in their place was knowing Jesus. It was like my whole life got demoed and all that remained was this relationship with my Savior. And he, said, he, he even compares these two things. This is in Philippians, uh, 
in his letter to the Philippians, he compares these two things. All these things that I was so proud of before that I, that I, that I had walking into a relationship with Jesus that all got demoed. And then, uh, so that kind of pile of nothingness in my relationship with Jesus. And my relationship with Jesus is infinitely more valuable than everything that I was so proud of before. This is an example of Paul saying, uh, and, and the things that happen in our lives, the things, even the things that we're proud of, so the things for, that we're ashamed of, sure, they've got to go, but even some of those things that we're so proud of, and God says, you know, just lay that down. I want to just pour myself into you. Later on in another letter in Romans chapter 6, Paul would say this, uh, we know that our old self, so our old self, when we talk about our old self, it's like everything that we brought into a relationship with God. Everything, maybe you're exploring relationship with Jesus today and everything that you're thinking about bringing to him, you know, your whole life, that old self. And a lot of times uh, when Paul's talking about the old self, he's talking about a self that's under the power of sin. All those destructive forces and those things in your life. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. We bring all of that, give it to Jesus, turn it over there, and it is brought to nothing. It's demoed. In order that we would no longer be slaves to sin. That word, crucified with him. We've been talking about the work that Jesus wants to do in our lives a lot of time of clearing things out, of breaking us down so that we're ready for God to rebuild something better in its place, conform us into the likeness of Christ. Um, there's an interesting gospel twist, though, on this whole concept of breaking, isn't there? Uh, this crucifixion is, is about the worst kind of breaking that a person could envision. I mean, it's just this brutal way of a life, a human life, being broken. And, and this gospel twist is that the reality is that the kind of restoration that God wants to do in your and I's life um, is so full and total and complete. And, and, and the reaches and the grip of sin goes so deep that in order for God's ultimate master plan for us to be fulfilled, there needs to be a demo that goes so deep that it goes beyond just pulling drywall off of walls. I mean, sin reaches so deep that the kind of demo that's going to need to take place in our lives in order for God's ultimate dream to be fulfilled in us, I mean, this is bulldozer territory, guys. The kind of demo goes so deep that God would need to do in our life, it, it would kill us. That's what sin does in a person's life and in, in the house that we build where sin has its grips in, it, it condemns the house. I mean, you can't build it back. I mean, it, it needs to be leveled. And, and God knew this. And so God, out of his great love for us, he took on flesh. And he moved into our neighborhood. He, he lived life among us. And he shouldered the, the weight and the burden and the effect of our sin on himself and carried that sin 
to the cross. And in a way, he took the ultimate deepest part of the demo that needed to happen in our life on himself. There was the one time, we're going to share in communion in just a minute, and, and the first communion was actually the last Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And we find some language in 1 Corinthians uh, where Jesus talks about uh, what's happening with this Passover meal, this bread and this wine that was brought for the Passover meal. And it's interesting language. It says that, uh, that Jesus took the bread of the Passover meal and he gave thanks for that bread or he blessed it. He recognized in these things. And then he broke it. And he said this about that bread. This is my body broken for you. See, there's a level of sin that just kind of a regular clearing out of our life that God couldn't get down. So he came in person and he took on the the effect and the deepest parts of what sin does in a life and the consequences of death. And he took it on himself and his body was broken for us. Maybe you can think about it in, in these terms. You can imagine uh, the house of our life and, it, and it's actually so bad that it is condemned and, and the municipalities come and they smack the yellow paper on the door and they, they change the locks and they shut the water and the electricity off and, and, and nobody is allowed, not even squatters are allowed to go into this house because it's so bad. But God doesn't want to let this house go and so he moves in down the street and he takes the sign that says condemned off of that house and he moves it to his house. And then he moves into that old dump. He moves in there and he begins that renovation there in that old dump. And that old dump of a house that we brought to him, he ends up transforming it into what Hebrews later calls the temple of the Holy Spirit. Talk about a palace. Talk about a renovation. Your and my life uh, brought to him was a condemned dump. And God says, I can work with this. And he blesses it. And then he demos it and clears it out. And he says, I'm going to pour my spirit into it now. And now you, the body of Christ, are the temple. 